Having read verses 1 through 30 of this chapter, we'll read now verses 31 through 58, starting at page 324 of your pew Bibles. Having read of the exaltation and pride of Goliath and the humility of David the shepherd boy, we will now see the humble shepherd slaying the exalted giant. Hear now the reading of God's inspired word, profitable for us, starting at verse 31, 1 Samuel 17, 31. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock, and I went out after him and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put an helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these. For I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me. And I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee. And take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, 
and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass, when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistines and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until thou come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Sha'areim, even unto Gath and to Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of his host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, Inquire thou whose son the stripling is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Thus far the reading of God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. May the Lord bless us in the reading and hearing of it. <clears throat> this is a very famous chapter in the Bible, often not understood properly, often not grasped in the implications of it, but nevertheless very popular. We have in verses 31 through 39 David's unparalleled bravery to encounter Goliath. David says in verse 32 uh, to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now notice here, David's intention is to encourage the hearts of his brethren. They are at this time all entirely discouraged, not ready to fight, ready to fear. Let no man's heart fail because of him. In other words, I will encourage the hearts of the hosts of God's people to be ready to fight. This is what God requires of us, to encourage our brethren in what is good and right. Saul, for his part, verse 33, says to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. Saul serves the gods of discouragement, of dungeons and dragons. He does not serve the living God. You can't do this. There's no way this is going to work. You see, he does not believe in God's promise. 
Your power is as nothing, David. How can you defeat this mighty giant? He minds earthly things, no thought of the power of God, no faith in the promise of God. But notice David, verse 34, he rebuts this unbelieving attitude. Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. Notice, David was keeping his father's sheep. He was faithful. He was obedient to his father's command. He was also courageous. Would you or I stay for a lion or a bear, or would we hightail it and run the opposite direction? Well, what does David do? He kills them. I went out after him and smote him and delivered it, that is, his father's sheep. I delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. David did not cower in the barn or the sheepcoats. He risked his life for what? In the pursuit of his duty. He did the duty that God required of him. He left the results in God's hands. He knew God had commanded him to take care of his father's flock. His father had said, David, this is the job you must do. And so he did it. I note then this doctrine. The reward of obedience is more obedience. The reward of obedience is more obedience. We'll see in Romans 1, God willing, in a little bit, the punishment of sin is more sin. The blessing of obedience is more obedience. One leads unto life, one leads unto death. David obeyed in small things with his father's flock, so he does not shun to fight against a great one, even Goliath. But it starts small, doesn't it? Oh, one day, I will be very self-denying when I have this big opportunity to do what Christ calls me to. Well, what does Jesus say? Be faithful in little things, and you'll be put in, put in charge of much. Don't deceive yourself. If you're unfaithful in small things, you won't be faithful in great things. David was faithful in small things, and the reward of his obedience in small things was obedience in large things. The punishment of sin is more sin. Let us then be faithful in small things, ready to do our duty, trusting in God. Verse 36, in comparing the Philistine to these animals he slew, this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. Notice, David's goal is to glorify God. If God's name is brought down into the mud, David wants to do something about it. He's going to leave the outcomes to God. In fact, he has a prophetic inspiration that God will slay this man and give him into his hand. And yet, he had to risk his life. In order to obey God, he had to do the duty God required of him and leave the results in the hands of providence. But notice his confidence. The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. It's the same God, whether I'm serving my father in the flock or serving the nation in battle, God is the same God who delivered me then, he'll deliver me now. Though our faith may be weak, let us grow in trusting in God based off of his prior mercies to us. That's what David is doing. God has been merciful to me in time past. 
He delivered me in the past. Will he not deliver me in the future? Well, of course he will. If I do his will, I am invincible until he's done with me and then he takes me to be with himself. So I will do my duty. That's what David says. Our faith may be weak, but we must grow in this trusting disposition. We must more firmly rely on God's providence. Have a more expansive and free willingness instead of clinging to our own wisdom. Maybe I'll trust God. No, let it go. Trust in God. Do his will. Keep his commandments. Do your duty and trust him for the results. Saul said unto David, Go and the Lord be with thee. David's faith, you might say, was persuasive. Remember what Saul initially said? You can't go. Okay, here, take my armor. Okay, now the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you in your endeavor. That's a big change from you can't go. How does that happen? Because David persuades him with what God has done in the past, with his obedience to God's will and God's deliverance of him. David had an armor greater than the armor that was given to this giant. Remember, there were hundreds of pounds just in the brass on his coat that he had. I think we calculated, what, 200 pounds, something like that? The end of his spear, at the end of that, 19 pounds at the end of a spear, probably 30 feet long. The man had greaves, he had a target covering his neck. The man was invincible. And yet, here David has confidence that God will give him the victory. Now there is no evil in the armor that Saul offers in verse 38. There's nothing wrong with having armor. David would wear armor later in his life. His men would wear armor. He would have swords. He would have shields. He would have a buckler. He would have greaves, much like the giant Goliath. There's nothing sinful about having armor. But David was not accustomed to it. He was not used to it. He had not proved the armor that Saul gave to him. God put means at David's disposal means that he had been exercised and trained in, and David was not discontent saying, well, I need something better or different. No, David used what God gave to him, and he did not trust in those means. Though lawful, he did not trust even in his stones, even in his sling. He trusted in God. That's who he trusted in. But notice verse 39, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. They're not battle-tested for David. He would have them later, but now was not the time. Verses 40 through 47, we have David's pious resolution to attack Goliath. He had his staff in his hand, and he chose him five smooth stones out of the brook. Now these are means that you could corral sheep with. That's what you could do. You can grab the sheep, pull his leg or pull his neck with the staff that you have in your hand. You might strike them if they're disobedient. You might throw a stone at one of them to scare them back to the flock. You don't kill giants with these things. That's one thing you will not do. These are not the means leading to this end, but God can work above and beyond the means that we utilize. Now the Philistine, verse 42, disdained him. 
for he was a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. He's a pretty little shepherd boy. Oh, isn't that cute? And so he held him in contempt. He had no regard for him. He thought nothing of him. Now we should beware of our confidence in our own success. Do you have the notion that the battle's over before it begins? Because if you do, you might lose. You might think, well, I don't need to fight. That's what this man is thinking, Goliath. What is this? What am I, a dog? You send this little shepherd boy after me? Isn't he cute with his little staff? He disdained him. But your pride may deceive you. Your confidence may be, may be misplaced, just as Goliath's was. You may lose if you think you're going to win. The Philistine said unto David, literally, Dog? I? That's literally what he said. Dog? I? What is this? You think I'm a dog? You come to me with staves? That's the plural of a staff, by the way. Staff becomes staves, like wife becomes wives. Staves, here you are, to corral me like a dog. So then he curses David by his gods. He held David in light regard. He wished his false gods to curse David. These human gods, the work of men's hands, these graven images, these teachers of lies, did you know that images encourage man to be prideful? Did you know that? You know why images encourage pride? Who made the image? Did God? No, man made the image. To whom should we direct our worship? To the one that made us, not the one that we made. That is the inversion or perversion of the order of creation. He who bows to a statue is worshiping downward when God says, no, you ought to worship me and me alone. Worship God. That's what the everlasting gospel was in Revelation 14. Don't worship the image. Don't worship the work of your own hands. So Goliath is prideful because he's idolatrous. He's an idol worshiper, so he's exalted in his own work of his own hands. He curses David by his feigned gods. His idols were patrons of his pride and self-exaltation. Let us be warned of this false patriotism. Goliath is a heathen, but he's a patriot, that's to be sure. His patriotism exalts him up to heaven and will bring him down to hell. Verse 44, Come to me and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air. I am sure of success and victory. I've not even begun to fight and I know your toast. That's what he's saying. David then responds, I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. God is over all. God will avenge his quarrel with you, Goliath, and you shall be destroyed. Notice, he doesn't have confidence in himself primarily, does he? 
His confidence is in God, that God will deliver you into my hand. Not that I'm strong enough, I'm big enough, I can do this. No. The name of the Lord of hosts, this day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. Verse 46. God's is the kingdom. God's is the power. God's is the glory. This is an inspired confidence, not drumming himself up to some kind of psychological persuasion. He knew God would give him the victory. Let us trust in God's power. Let us seek for his glory. Let us share in his victory. Let us sing his praise. Let us receive his salvation. And then notice verse 47. All this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. That is, God is free to use a sword and a spear to give victory if he wants, and he's free to do otherwise if he does not want. He's not tied to the means of the horse and the shield and the legs of man. No. The battle is the Lord's. He owns it. He will dispose of it. He is the master of it. Then verses 48 through 54, providence grants victory to the humble and abases the proud. David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine, moved with a zeal for the glory of God, and he smote the Philistine in his forehead, verse 49 tells us, and the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. Just as God had assured David, so it was. Just as providence had foretold in his prophetic spirit to David, so it came to pass. The means employed were not such calculated by human wisdom, but rather by the power and wisdom of God. The Apostle Paul tells us that we wage war not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers, and that the weapons that we utilize are mighty in God to do what? Tear down strongholds and every high thing that exalteth itself, like Goliath, against the knowledge of God. Let us trust in the God who appoints the means, the God who owns the battle and its outcome, the God who resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, the God who crowns the faithful, those who trust in him. Now note verse 50, there was no sword in the hand of David. He has to draw Goliath's sword out in order to decapitate him, to take Goliath's head as a prize of war. He slew him and cut off his head therewith. In other words, Goliath was as good as dead, but not completely dead. The sword cut off his head, and then he's finally dead. The coup de grace, you might say, the fatal blow. Then the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines, and thou, until thou come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. You will notice there on your maps, Ekron all the way over toward the west here. All the way, miles and miles, they run after them, 12 to 14 miles west of the battle site. David's courage and faith blessed many who were otherwise what? 
Were they ready to fight? What were they doing when Goliath was out there boasting and cursing the armies of the living God? They were cowering. But now that God in his providence raised up David, they all arise, all the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines. God gave them the victory. And notice, they spoiled their tents. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, as David did, and his righteousness, as David did, and all these other things, including the spoils of war, shall be given unto you. David then took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. Have you ever seen the little dolls and trinkets in Christian stores? The little pictures of the nice, beautiful things that happen in the Bible like Noah's Ark, where everybody's so sweet and sparkly and shiny and pastel. Have you ever seen one of those with blood dripping off the bottom of a head severed from a carcass? Of course not, because it's not the Bible. It's trash. It's little things that pretend to teach you godliness and teach you lies. The Bible teaches you the truth. The Bible teaches you about David, a real person who severed the head of the giant and paraded it around and showed it to his king and took it to Jerusalem, which they did not own at the time, to say, you're next. I'm coming for you. John Gill comments, After he had been introduced with it to Saul, and when he had passed through the various cities in Israel, carrying the head in triumph, where he was congratulated by the women who came out singing and dancing and speaking highly in his commendation and praise. Now David would later, under prophetic inspiration, he knew this somehow, he would later take Zion or Jerusalem as his own house. But right now it was owned by the Jebusites at this time. Why does he take the head to Jerusalem? This will be my place. I will conquer you. If you resist me, this is what will happen to you. Very unchristlike, isn't it? For David to actually be a man and actually show that God gives the victory to his people. No, this is not unchristlike. We just don't think like Christians. That's our problem. Then verses 55 through 58, David's continued advance to greatness by Saul's notice of him in battle. Verse 55, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. Now do you remember that Saul has been plagued by an evil spirit? And people who are plagued by evil spirits are not in possession of their wits. They can't remember. Didn't he just interview David? Didn't he have David come to his court to play a harp and sing the Psalms for him? To ease him from the demonic oppression he was under? Yes, of course he did. Does he even remember this person? He doesn't. His mind is scattered. The man is a broken man. He has to inquire whose son the stripling is. He has to figure out who he is so that he may reward him. So Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. He still got it. He's still toting that thing around, praising God for it. And then David answers the question, I am the son of thy servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. 
His house will be rewarded. They will be made free in Israel. And now God, by his great mercy and providence, is introducing the son of Judah, who would rule over and be a lion's whelp in the kingdom. David will be the king of Israel. And thus far the exposition of the book of 1 Samuel, the second half of chapter 17. Let's pray.